Dean. Mate. How you doing, sir? I'm really good. Had a few uh, technical issues. This is the this is the third computer I tried <laughs> to get on today. So you got work. You know, got- you know, for all the technology that we all have, it's still uh, just not always the easiest thing in the world Sometimes to make happen. You, the sequel is just the best. Exactly. You try to um, all this other stuff, and it's like, man. Oh yeah. Yeah. We missed last week. Um, you were, I forget what we were both, we both had something going on, but we, t- I talked to the, the guys from a, uh, like a Christian web three community, which yep. is pretty cool called reformers. Yep. And, yep. um, they're really cool. They've started this whole community. They're starting like a web three product incubator accelerator. And, uh, they may be doing a pot. They want to do their own podcast. I think under Ooh. the, uh, vast banner, they should like, come under the vast network. I think they're going to, I think they're going to how, uh, basically the idea is like, how should Christians and churches think about web three and all of that? I mean, so, I think, I think about it all the time. Like, you know, one of the main things that we solve is we move money, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. really at the core of our business. And up until two weeks ago, I thought stable coins were always going to be stable. It turns out. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I, I was going to have you explain to me that whole, what is the TerraCoin situation yeah, that it's happened? Pegged the, it's pegged to the US dollar, right? So the idea is, is I give you $100,000, mm-hmm. you give me the same worth in these digital tokens, and I take that 100000 and I put it in the bank somewhere and I never spend it. So the, it, it's like there's no, and what they do, there's an arbitrage overnight where you have, you know, mm-hmm. $30 billion in an account, you, you make money on the spread mm-hmm. of that dollar. Can you explain to me arbitrage, like in like arbitrage for dummies? Yeah, it's like mi- micro cents on very large amounts of money being traded fairly quickly. Okay. And so you're just, there's this movement where you're trying to capture this tiny slither. A tiny of, piece of the movement, right? Yeah. It happens mostly in currency trading. And so- yep. It's all to do with money movement, money transfer, that having a backup price, that having a buyer and a seller, and there's like this tiny, but because you're in the billions of dollars range, there's money mm-hmm. to be made in there. Yeah. So stable coins are just, you know, pegged against the currency, they're held, and then they're traded, and they're used to move money, right? This whole thing's mm-hmm. about moving money. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the tithe coin that I think about, right, pe- like people would give, it's held against a coin, and I could put money in the church bank account faster and cheaper than what I can do it for today. That's that's one uh, use yeah. around the Web three that that yeah you know, I've talked about. Yeah. Okay. That's really cool. Yeah. I just kind of like asked him a bunch of questions, just like yeah. help me understand this. What does this yeah. mean? They um. So yeah, it was it was really cool. So they're you know really four leaders in that space that I think are doing something really really cool. So you know, it's gonna be a thing. Maybe here soon we'll have a weekly uh, weekly podcast on, you know, yeah. Web3 and crypto and how Christians Maybe. should be Rock thinking tank. about it. So, yeah, whole thing. All of it. All right. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm reading this book. I just started it, but um, have, you've heard of Tony Fidel uh, probably, okay. right? Yeah. So the creator of the iPod, iPhone, Nest. Yep. Um, I remember when Nest was first kind of oh, yeah. coming out and he sort of came out and just talked about how like every product that we have to have, but that we hate the way it looks, I want to yeah. make it, make it beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. Um, and then I guess sold he sold his company to Google for a few billion dollars, but he just came out with this book 
um, called Build, an, unor- an, unorthodox, an Unorthodox Guide to Making Things Worth Making. Um, and I'm literally probably just 20 pages into it, but uh, I'm stoked to reading it. Maybe we'll do an episode on it because it's really fascinating. His it, The book's all over the place, and he kind of says that at the beginning, like, hey, this is not a streamline, you know, this is basically just 30 years of my riffs on what it means to build product, build companies, right. manage people. So, um, sounds yeah. like if you want to be a product company, it'd be a good book to read. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So we're in a recession. We're nearing, I think the consensus is we're, if we're not there yet, we will be. Yep. Is that right? I agree. Well, absolutely. I think we, I mean, it's, you just got to have two quarters, right? So Q1 was 1.5% mm-hmm. um, negative. So we'll see. Uh, um, if we're not, it's going to be real close and and then it's going to happen. But it yeah. could be mild, right? So the, all kinds of things coming out from the Fed all the time. Mm-hmm. We've got, oh, this oh, kind of global impact. So things could change, you know? Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't it be great it, it, in some ways, and I think we said this, having a, a recession of some degree actually recess the table um, clears a lot of the junk off through the system, gets rid of bad companies, bad operators, um, and then you're left with a, a better market that's in better shape, which is going to lead into what we're going to talk about today, about successful companies who, who started in, you know, down markets and recessions. But it, it literally just um, all the pretenders go away, mm-hmm. most. And then you're left with the operators that know what they're doing. And right. And then that's the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... I, I have always heard people who have who are sort of on the other side of building successful companies. Um, you know, sort of my first mentor in business started one of his businesses in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, um, and would always say like, "This only succeeded because we started in the in the middle of a recession." Right? Like you hear that, um, and for guys like me, it's always like, "Oh yeah, that sounds really great to be on the other side of it and have been having been successful and being like, now's a great time." to to do it, you know? Um, But I came across this article that, and I'm sure there's tons of companies, but there, here's, I think it's like 10 massive ones um, that started in a uh, recession. So I figured we could literally walk through these just to give people an idea of like, hey, it's not really just a talking point that everyone's saying right now. It's actually a fact that recessions are great times to capitalize on opportunity. And like, We'll go through some of these names in a, in a minute, but the, I think the thing to think about is is that the, if you have a business idea or a product idea, and you are going to make it, it so good that people can't wait to get their hands on it, it doesn't matter if there's a recession. Mm-hmm. And I think as a business owner, entrepreneur, you never want to have the mindset other than I'm going to win, and I am going to work out this um, problem that some market has, and I'm going to put something inside of that market that people are going to stampede for. And so it doesn't really matter what the economy is doing. What I'm building is going to is going to be loved and wanted. And that's the attitude you've got to start with no matter what's going on in the economy. Right. Yeah, because if you're starting a business that is dependent upon a red-hot economy to succeed, mm-hmm. that business is not going to last. Um, 100%. Yeah. It's interesting. I keep seeing all these takes about And it, it is true. Like, you know, people my age, this is kind of our first time of seeing – something like this and being of an age that's actually consequential, you know? Oh, so for so many of us, it's like a shock to the system. Like what, what do you mean stuff doesn't grow every quarter uh, right. in perpetuity? 
This is the first time maybe a lot of entrepreneurs that got going in the last 10 years have ever seen mm-hmm. a pullback. And we, we had a 10, 11 years of unstoppable like, expansion and growth mm-hmm. and topped that with the free money that was all around. Mm-hmm. The party was going to end at some point and the music stops and, you know, there's always going to be a, a few people that don't get a chair to sit down. Mm-hmm. So they, they're mm-hmm. out. <laughs> did, you, did you see that movie? Did you ever watch that movie Margin Call? I watched it again recently yes, where, yeah, yeah it's yeah. Th- that, the, um, the, the line where the guy talks about the music stopping, it's sort of like supposed yeah. to be Lehman brothers the night before they basically accelerated the crash in 2008. Yeah. Uh, and I just recently watched it again and it's just like, it's so ominous. It's an ominous, yeah. uh, it's an ominous story. Um, yeah. so it's crazy. I was looking at these companies and, you know, you think like y- you sort of think about, and we'll get to some of them, you think. Oh, like, of course, tech co- tech companies, very, like, futuristic. But there was actually just some very basic, like, goods and services companies that started sure. in the middle of a recession. So there's a lot of opportunity. So do you want to walk through yeah. these? Um, well, you've got a, a couple of classics here, right, that everyone yep. knows. General Electric, General mm-hmm. Motors, IBM. So these are, you know, early 20th century. General Electric was, late, like, 1892, right? Mm-hmm. And Edison gets the light bulb and turns mm-hmm. that into General Electric. And, you know... It, I don't know a lot about General Electric until Jack Welch took over, mm-hmm. but I, I, I re- really used to follow the company a lot when he ran it. Mm-hmm. And he was a, uh, I read a lot of his stuff on business. He, he was brutal. Mm-hmm. We talked about uh, Frank Slootman's book, you know, Amp yep. It Up. Yep. And, and how like intense it is. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, I was chatting with Frank the other day, and like the, there's, there's some people that just struggle with the intensity of, constant growth and change and expansion and mm-hmm. more products and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, but you know, obviously I'm built like that. Mm-hmm. You look at a business book, like, you know, amp it up and then go back and read the old Jack Welsh stuff. He's like every year without fail, you will fire the worst 10% of performers. I don't care. What's <laughs> going on. Every division had to fire the worst, the lowest 10%. They just had to just to clear Dang. it out. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's like belong, mm-hmm. man. No, mm-hmm. so, um, yeah. So you know, you, you've got these companies that launched in tough times. It's it's kind of relevant, you know. Launching a motor company in 1908, um, you know, William Durant here from General Motors went from buggies <laughs> to uh, mm-hmm. acquiring Buick Company and, and building what GM is today. It's mm-hmm. kind of interesting though. You, you fast forward, you know, 110 years, and and you know, Tesla stock I think is worth it's down. Just- Every other car company mm-hmm. combined, uh, combined. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you, just because you've been around a hundred years doesn't mean you're going to stay around for another hundred. Yep. And you've always got to be innovating. You've got to be looking around. What's coming? What's next? Don't get too settled in, you know, mm-hmm. what you, is the the best and, and brightest idea in the marketplace because mm-hmm. on, the spirit of entrepreneurship is always around. Yep. And uh, there's always well, someone coming for your product. I love this about General Motors. Um, it said that in the middle of the 30% business decline experienced during the 13-month panic of 1907, Durant decided to launch GM as a holding company to acquire even more automobile manufacturers. This strategy would serve GM well. So it, it wasn't even just like, how do I exist during this crazy time? It was literally, right. how do I uh, grow right. uh, or position myself for, for growth, right? I wonder if he was the first, um, you know, house of brands strategy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Other than the thing about Ford, that was a branded house. 
Right. GM had all of those mm -hmm. different products. Some of them are not around today. Um, and they went the, uh, you know, the many brands under one holding company structure, both, both work, it seems. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it, it's fascinating to me that like IBM was launched in 1911. I'm like, what was even around? Yeah. I didn't know that either. Yeah. I've seen but Still obviously, you know, yeah. they, they did a bunch of stuff, but the, I think the fifties when the big mainframes started getting produced and, you know, mm -hmm. the crunching data back then at speeds like today that, you know, would be eclipsed with like a half an iPhone. Mm -hmm. Um, but you yeah. know, and, and, and they went from kind of products to services, right? They used to make computers. And uh, that's a fascinating transition on how they, in the era, in the 80s and 90s, where cheap computer components were being made, Michael Dell literally flying in stuff from China, putting computers together in his dorm and selling mm -hmm. them to his college buddies, right? Mm -hmm. Like one of the best case studies ever of a business. And then, you know, really crushing IBM. And then you had your compacts and your, you know, Hewlett Packards and like, what was the one that had the cow logo on it? Like all these cheap computers basically. Mm -hmm. And then IBM sells the Lenovo brand of computers to Chinese company. And literally like, well, what are they going to do now? Well, they did 77 billion in revenue, like on services. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's a pretty cool way how you can reinvent. Um, even if you're old and you're a one trick pony, but you see the winds of change, even they come mm -hmm. so fast. And they just reinvented themselves into a services company, literally going alongside this very enterprise level kind of sale and 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 product, but going alongside the biggest companies in the world and mm -hmm. helping them with their technology services, mm -hmm. um, rather than building you know computer boxes and selling them for low margins. Yeah, yeah. Before we jump on to the next one, I want to ask you. You so you mentioned um, sort of the house of brands versus branded house. Can we just talk maybe just quickly? Because I know that's come up in a lot of different industries recently. There's a lot of people in media talking about that right now where you have these big media brands who are trying to figure out a way to, okay, if people are following people, not institutions, the whole idea is like flipping itself. So like when you talk about a house of brands versus a branded house, give me an explanation of like what we mean by that, maybe using a car company as an example or, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, car company, there's, there's um, think about Intuit, right? Mm -hmm. That has uh, QuickBooks mm -hmm. and they just bought MailChimp. Mm -hmm. and if you go to the MailChimp site now, they'll say MailChimp by Intuit. Mm -hmm. So the thing there is like, there's, there's a couple of reasons why you would do that. One, there's standalone products that don't integrate but they have the same customer, which is usually mm -hmm. why you would buy a product like mm -hmm. that. Um, they've got a really good brand mm -hmm. that, you know, you shouldn't do away with. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't change MailChimp's, you know, email newsletter machine. Right. Call it Intuit email. Right. So there's, there's reasons around what the product does and who it serves. And if the brand is really good, like if it has a really high, you know, NPS score and it's loved and it, it's profitable and all you mm -hmm. want to do is actually add fuel to that fire so it can grow faster and serve its customers even better and expand the, you know, product feature line, maybe inside the product. But, and so that's become more and more popular mm -hmm. um, as just having one brand with divisions and it's all under the one brand. Mm -hmm. Both work, both um, 
work across many industries. We just did did the car industry, Ford versus mm-hmm. GM. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I don't, I'm not an expert on this. I read mm-hmm. a lot about it. I'm not an expert on it. And I think it's an individual case by case. If you're mm-hmm. acquiring businesses, you, you when you build technology, you have the um, ability to just have your brand and then just put all your products in it. If you're mm-hmm. acquiring technology and you've got to think, man, I've got to integrate that in, which is really hard, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm going to uh, change the branding and bring it under my brand, that's mm-hmm. hard. And right. we, we've actually kind of walked through that a little bit with what we've done. But um, in my estimation, I look at both work. Mm-hmm. Right? And I, I don't I don't see a, an area, a world where one or the other is going to dominate. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. So uh, we talked to IBM Disney. Uh, this was pretty cool that um, in 1929. Oh, that was like the, the beginning of the end, yep. wasn't it? Yeah. And I just love this. It says, you know, the brothers knew that America needed a smile more than ever. Um, and it's cool. I didn't, I never knew this, that they started to work on their first full length animated feature right after the Great Depression ended, which is like yep. such a cool, um, it's such a cool like way of thinking, which kind of brought me to a question. And this is again, very hypothetical, but. I think, you know, COVID hits and everyone, every entrepreneur starts going, okay, what are people going to need, not just now, but coming out of COVID? Like what are, what, you know, is that kind of the same where, you know, we're now in this recession? Is it a time for people to be able to look at the world and go, what are people, what am I betting people are going to need 18 months from now? And how do I start building that now to hopefully, does that make sense? Yeah. Look, you're, you're looking to solve problems. That's what businesses start with. Mm-hmm. You're solving a problem. Are there going to be problems that appear in the next, you know, 12, 8 month economic slowdown? Not as bad as 08, 09, I don't believe that global financial meltdown. I don't think it's going to be anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's going to be a 2000.com crowd. I don't think it's going to be that either. The world is very different now. Um, but this, it's going to stop growing, right? And mm-hmm. growth is the, is the mother's milk of, of all you know, mm-hmm. things wonderful for companies, just mm-hmm. growth, growth, growth. So when you stop growing or when the economy stops growing, and that that's hurtful. But I, I don't think it's going to be a big one, number one. But if, you, if you're thinking about starting a business, the only thing that you need to think about is what problem I'm going to solve. Mm-hmm. And, and I was talking to someone yesterday and they wanted to create something that was multifaceted. And, and I said, just go and solve one problem for mm-hmm. this customer base mm-hmm. and you could build a $10 million business. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, cause I could do the math in my head on, on how they could do it. If yeah. I just did one thing really well. Mm. And, then, and so, and that, look, that's another conversation for another day, but mm-hmm. it, it's like you're solving problems, you're fulfilling needs. And so when you turn up to a customer and say, here's this thing I built mm-hmm. and here's the three problems that just sold for you, mm-hmm. by the way, that's so affordable. You can't not buy it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, that's the that's everything you need in a business mm-hmm. to get cooking, mm-hmm. and so um, it doesn't matter if it's the economy's good or it's not good. You're you're mm-hmm. here to solve problems, people. Mm-hmm. This, so this and may be an obvious problem in a recession. Right? Yeah. So this may be an obvious question, but I think what you said made me really think about that. Is like, so let's like like take Tidely for example. So Tidely, someone could look at Tidely and go, okay, Tidely does two things. It makes it makes it easier for churchgoers to give. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think on the surface, it's like that could be the the idea of like the problem Tidely is trying to solve is helping people give to their church easier. Yep. Yep. But really, 
your main customer in your mind is not the person giving your main customer is the pastor. Right. So you're like, and that's this like small distinction, but it is that like drilling down into who is the customer and what am I providing? Because what you're consistently thinking about is not necessarily how do I make it easier for Michael Whittle sitting in his church to give, although that's a result of what you're doing. You're saying, how do I help the pastor? Yeah. Be resourced with the technology that's needed to help grow the ministry that they're building in all, all areas. And that's a small distinction, but it's, it's a distinction. It's a very important one though, right? So there's a few different kinds of companies. There's business to business, which is what we are. We sell, we make a product and sell it to a business. Business happens to be a nonprofit church, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 you know schools and other customers we have. Um, B to C is direct to consumer, right? Um, you know I'm going to make my own brand of flip flops and I'm going to sell them on my Shopify website to consumers. That's B to C, and sometimes there's B to B to C, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you, you know, if you're going to sell something to a business, it's a business to business marketplace. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't have B2C frightens the, you know, <laughs> everything out of me. I don't understand it. I don't, I don't, yeah. um, consumer products. I, I, I don't think I'll, I'll ever get invited. You know, I could learn about it, I guess. You can look yep. in it, but it's not, that's not the thing I enjoy doing. I enjoy mm-hmm. doing, you know, business to business, which is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and both are lucrative. Yeah. Yeah. So we had HP Hyatt, which is, that's pretty cool. I never knew that either. Um, that they, you know, bought their first motel in, 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 near LAX, um, which is, which is pretty crazy in 1958. Um, you've got HP, right? That was the first, like buy the, buy the product. And then you're going to have to keep buying something from us for the rest of that product's life. Mm -hmm. We're going to sell you this $200 printer, but you're going to buy $50 ink. (laughs) <laughs> forever yeah right and it's, and it's the, the printer the yeah and the printer works uh, you know the printer the ink you need is only our branded exactly ink. exactly yeah and that eventually got hacked and, and people counterfeited it and you could do that but um and you know the paper you know industry right like mm-hmm. and it's interesting everything's still going digital man everyone i don't think paper usage is down for business you still print right. it's still print a lot of stuff same it's less, it's less but yeah um, but yeah, Hewlett Packard, you know, selling you printers and then ink for the rest of your life was, was mm-hmm. a pretty good business model. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, hotels, man. Um, you know, like who, who'd have thought you could, in a downturn, like create a hotel mm-hmm. and for people to come on vacation when they're not really spending. I, I don't yeah. know how, how these businesses were capitalized in their, mm-hmm. you know, initial launch. If you got a ton of money behind you, you can get through any recession. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And yeah. You know, and you, and you might have to spend it a bit more mm-hmm. you know, prudently and not mm-hmm. just go bonkers, but yeah. Yeah. Hotels are fascinating. I, I had a neighbor who worked as a developer for Hotel Tonight and mm-hmm. like the way that they were building their algorithms, like talk about capitalizing like arbitrage, like they were in real time going out, scanning inventory, changing prices, changing yep. the first hotel that popped up when you open the app. Like he started to explain it to me and I was like, man, this is... There is so much that goes into um, the pr- even just like the daily pricing of a hotel room. It's, it's oh, such sure. like an interesting, interesting thing. So cool. So Hyatt, Trader Joe's, which is pretty cool. Just a, a yeah. supermarket started in 1958. Yeah. Pronto Markets in Southern California, which is really cool. Um, FedEx. 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 Yep. Man, 
that guy is uh, – there's tons of books on FedEx. You should find the best ones. Mm -hmm. I read a couple of them back in the day. But, yeah, man, it, it, the famous, you know, thing there, he, he went to his professors at Yale and, you know, I got this idea I'm, I'm going to, like, f fly packages <laughs> – <laughs> around the around the country, and they're like you're a maniac, and people and, will pay uh, for it. Yeah, and yeah. They did sixty five billion in revenue last year. Right, so right. Man, that's crazy. Um, so where where was I? Okay, I lost my spot. Microsoft. Okay, Microsoft. Yep. Um, yeah, the seventies man were like the worst decade on the planet mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as far as economics go, other than maybe mm -hmm. twenty nine and early thirty. Yeah. But, um, it, it was just no growth, high inflation, high interest rates, like just brutalized. But hey, if you've got a product that is going to change the world, literally, and mm -hmm. you know, Microsoft did. But again, look at the morph, the way that company's morphed. It, it, you know, it was selling software um, on on disks back in the day, and then um, software went to the cloud. Microsoft mm -hmm. put their stuff in the cloud, but then again, they went to services as the big revenue driver now. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and they bought LinkedIn and they've done this other stuff, but just evolving. It's a great story um, mm -hmm. of a company adapting and evolving as technology and needs of people change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Electronic Arts, video game company. That's pretty crazy. Um, I didn't yeah. realize they have 10,000 employees, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and then Salesforce, The I mean, here's three huge ones, Salesforce, Google, and Facebook. And this says, okay, so uh, though technically not started during recessions, these three giants were all launched right before major economic meltdowns. Google, 1998, Salesforce, yeah. 1999, and then uh, right before the dot-com bubble burst, and then Facebook, uh, 2004, um, which, and is that's pretty, the, um, which is pretty crazy. That's the best kind of example around all those companies that failed in, in, you know, that were launched, um, and Amazon, you know, was pretty close behind there too. Mm -hmm. And then they experienced this massive downturn, like massive, like stocks went from a hundred bucks to two bucks. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but if you've got a good product, a good team, some capital to get you through the dark, dark times, man, you've got trillion dollar companies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I never forget, I was just right before the pandemic, I was in uh, San Francisco and for like a minute, it's about as long as I like to stay there. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm downtown and I'm at the bottom of these two towers and I look up and it says Salesforce. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that company like literally is 20 years old and like changed software forever, you know, kind of almost invented software as a service. And they've mm -hmm. these two like, ginormous you know, buildings, and then they had enough capital to go and buy a company like Slack for, you mm -hmm. know, $12 billion or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. So just incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think coming off this, it's it really is, you know, now's a great time to start a business. Now's yep. a great time Absolutely. to, um, if you've just started one. I keep hearing, you know, I just keep hearing two people saying, you know, to people that just started something, uh, like now, if you can make it through this, yep. uh, that's that's a, a massive win for the future of, of what the business could look like. And I think so for all the doom and gloom are going to be gone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, okay. So speaking of starting businesses, our last topic, and we'll just touch on this um, and maybe do, we talk about this a lot, um, this kind of stuff, but I think it's important to just keep hammering on, but someone sent in the question. Okay. So I have an idea for a startup. How can I validate that it's a good idea? 
And how will I know when an idea is promising enough to commit to? Um, so I have some, some stuff I kind of went around and found online, but I guess my, let's, let's, what do you think? How do, how do you validate your business idea? So it depends on the business, right? Product mm-hmm. or service, software or hardware. But the way I do it is I start talking to people, mm-hmm. right? And I will literally, if I have an idea, I will literally probably spend a year or two in, in sometimes overt like setup situations like hey mike i need an hour from you because i gotta run this idea by you right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to hey we're playing poker and i'm like hey yeah. i have this idea mike. right mm-hmm. and uh and so i'm kind of doing market research you know mm-hmm. on ideas or something maybe that i want want to do inside my my current business right i want to mm-hmm. expand it mm-hmm. um I, I asked i asked james the other day he's like I said, James, I got this idea for this. He goes, you know that product that you guys have on? Can you just make sure that works a bit better than it does today? <laughs> <laughs> it was really good though. Because I'm like, yeah. you know, sometimes you shouldn't be building new things when the old things are like running at eighty percent instead mm-hmm. of like yeah. So yeah, that was that was kind of a good kick in the butt. But that's great. You mentioned not to, but like you mentioned James. And so like that being a customer, he's part of a, you have your customer base. You probably have a smaller customer base that you interact with. And then you have someone like James, who's an executive pastor of a church. And he's part of even a smaller group of people that I know you guys test product ideas with. Um, And that's incredible. And the fact that, you know, you have someone like James to just say that is, is is awesome. It is awesome. And you know, we we probably evolved in this in the, in the last kind of year, especially eighteen months. Is man, we we are testing with customers more than we ever have, mm-hmm. because in our instance, we have you know literally tens of thousands of churches, and if we get it wrong, like it, if something breaks, it can't break. It just can't, right? Right. If we launch a new like a new giving product, it can't break. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that customer feedback is is critical, but. I, I give validation. You're going to talk to a lot of people. You're going to, you know, you've got a market in mind, right? You've, mm-hmm. you've identified some kind of TAM. And so you, you're going to go to those people and mm-hmm. you're going to go and, you know, give them coffee gift cards and get on a Zoom or knock on their door and say, hey, can I get 30 minutes here? And I want to validate this idea, how I'd like to solve this problem that I think you have in your business. Mm-hmm. So you just got to go do as much market research as you can. Um, and then listen to it and be honest. Now, sometimes you might hear the answer and go, you know, no, I can build something that will actually do this. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, as, um, the guy that, that, that took, that built zoom fascinating story. Um, he worked for Cisco that had WebEx. Right. And at the time there's Google, there's WebEx, there's Citrix, like there's two or three established Mm -hmm. players in, Mm -hmm. in the, in this market. Gosh, I remember and, the Citrix. I remember those days trying to get on a right, video call with terrible. some of that stuff. Oh, my gosh. We got turned down by every VC. Mm-hmm. And so he did family and friends, took his 40-member team because he went to he went to WebEx guys. And he says, I'm gonna do, we need to redo this. They're like, no, you're not. So he left, mm-hmm. took his team, bootstrapped it, got some traction, and then literally got given – like thirty million in a, like a Series A, never spent it. Didn't need to spend it because mm-hmm. they were cash flow positive, and then COVID hit. Dang, bang, they exploded. Yeah, yeah. that's so crazy. Just because yeah. someone says no, or just someone says, you know, I don't see a fit for this. Sometimes you got to kind of back your instinct 
and, mm-hmm. and take the risk, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you know, market research is, is huge. Yep. Market research. And then, you know, a lot of the stuff I read was a lot of like, you got to get out of the idea phase and into like the most basic form of what the product could be. So you actually really do have something to test. And maybe that is even just like you said, this is, this is my idea of what the product will do, but I need to talk to some people to make sure that they actually need it to do that. Right. Right. Um, And then that's a viable product, right? MVP Mm -hmm. at some point. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, this was one that I thought was, was really interesting. Cause I think that's the big thing is like, I'm, I'm the type of person I'm built to want to come up with this big idea, put all the proper pieces in place and launch big. Like that's, that's, I'm a marketer. I mean, that's the way that I think. Right. Uh, so I always tend to want to do the whole thing at once and then make a massive splash. But I think what this is, is like, no, you just start taking little baby steps. You try stuff, you start working on stuff. Um, get early customer feedback before you go full on. So I I love that. One thing I thought was cool is like uh, one thing that I read was um, inbound demand is a strong signal signal that you have product market fit. And the fact that you can get inbound demand, even on this like little basic MVP, um, that's pretty crazy. And that's, that's like, if you can discover that mm -hmm. and like, quite honestly, that's, that's the secret source of, you know, our company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was such a demand mm-hmm. and all we had to do is, is buy some keywords on Google, mm-hmm. like mobile giving, text giving, church giving, mm-hmm. giving on phone. Like we just bought mm-hmm. all those mm-hmm. and was, uh, we're still today all inbound sales. We, we, yep. we don't, uh, we do yep. the only outbound is me or, you know, one of Frank or somebody like networking with big churches at a golf event or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't have a, you don't have a sales room. Yeah. You don't have a sales room of people making cold calls, trying to, you know, get the product in people's hands. Right. We have, we had competitors who did that mm-hmm. and, uh, I don't think it helped their brand and it, and it, they went for a segment of the market that is now saturated and mm. we went the opposite direction and, you know, we, we still have plenty of, plenty of business. Plenty of opportunity. So. Yeah. Um, okay. So lastly, and I think we can dig into this even more, but I think this is two that are really good. So, um, seek out both functional and emotional needs from your users, right. To make sure you're building something that's a must have, not a nice to have, uh, which means you got to really dig for the deep needs, which is, I think that's exactly that example you just gave of James It's like, Hey, this idea is really cool. And he's sort of like, yeah, but this thing, um, that you already built, I want it to work better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe like, I guess just that must have versus nice to have. What's an example of a must have versus nice to have that you can think of? I think of? we're probably going to have to go to a um, kind of part two of this because mm-hmm. there's a lot to unpack here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's going to come down to you as the business entrepreneur doing like really understanding the problem. Mm-hmm. Like, the, one of the, I tell the story, one of the advantages I had is I under, I had 30 years of understanding the problem. Mm-hmm. The problem was you had to be in church to give. Mm-hmm. That was the problem. Mm-hmm. And I had 30 years to, of experience around that. And so I all I did in the first thing, when Bond built the first app and looking back on it, man, it's like, I think it was rinky dink, mm-hmm. um, but it solved the problem. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of didn't work half the time. It would, it would time out. It would like, there was all these things wrong with it, but, uh, I just got it into the market and tested it and, uh, and, and discovered that the problem that I knew and I, and I expertly knew was a problem for a lot of other people as well. 
Mm-hmm. And so I, I just I just think you've got to be so intricately understanding of the problem that you know what has to what you have to build first, mm-hmm. and what you have to do first, and then I I'm the opposite. I get things in market, and if, mm-hmm. if they break and if they're I gotta like I would rather grow as I do and mm-hmm. learn as I go than sit in the back room for three years, build it all, and pop it out to the marketplace, and you got and then they're not into it. Yeah, and meanwhile, yeah. there's fourteen competitors that spent that three years going to market, mm-hmm. and now you're behind. Now half the market's gone, and you're playing catch up. And yeah, I, I never think that's the best way to go. Mm-hmm. Love it. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll do the next episode. I love that that idea of the problem and must have uh, mm-hmm. building something that's a must have and not a nice to have. Maybe we'll dive into that on the next episode because I think that's a massive um, way to think about building yeah. products, especially now. So cool, Dean awesome, man. As usual, man, thank you. Uh, if you're listening and you got any questions, hit us up on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, our sort of new website is up, vast.faith. You can reach out to us there, sign up for the newsletter. Yeah, making, you know, slowly making progress. I'm learning how to, yep. I'm learning how to make websites one day at a time. Amen. <laughs> Everyone's got to, even I can do it. Exactly. Um, awesome. Cool. Well, reach out to us if you're listening. We'd love to hear from you, love to answer your questions, and we will see you next week. Awesome. Blessings. See ya. See ya.